The following audio is from Community Bible Church in Nashville, Tennessee. For more information about our church, please visit us online at cbcnashville.org. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Remain standing. You can turn to John chapter 10. We'll read the passage for this morning. John chapter 10, beginning with verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, And leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is true that we can... know it, that we can know you through it, that we can worship you rightly as you have shown us in your word. Father, I pray that as we look at the details of this passage, again, that you would open our eyes, soften our hearts to receive your word, to believe it. Father, as we look at these comforting words of, about the good shepherd this morning, Help us to flee from all the other comforts that we tend to run to. 
and help us to flee into your sheepfold, to trust your son, to know he's the good shepherd. And as we have sung this morning, celebrate and worship him for leading us. Help us to follow him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as you know, we've been going through the book of John, and we're kind of taking a, uh, an extended stay in John chapter 10. Ryan opened the series last week with an introduction. Uh, if you recall, we spent a good amount of time in Exodus 34. I'm going to refer back to that during uh, this sermon because it's so important uh, for understanding John chapter 10. Um, but today, I'm going to be looking at the aspect of the good shepherd. So, introduction last week. This week, looking at the good shepherd. Next week, Ryan's going to be looking at the sheep. And then the following week, Ryan as well will be looking at the thieves and robbers, uh, the hired hands. So we're kind of dissecting John chapter 10, looking at these different aspects, looking at these different perspectives. But I have the joy of looking at the good shepherd. Ryan closed off last week, asked the question, who would ever die for their animal? Who would ever die for their animal? Well, we're going to answer that question today. And I want to do that by taking a few steps to get there. First, I'm going to just explain shepherding a little bit for us uh, as best as I can understand it from Jesus's day. Uh, as raise your hand if you're a shepherd. I'm, there might be. Okay. Yeah, we don't have much experience with sheep. I have a little bit of experience with sheep, but not enough to speak with any great authority on it. But I'll, I'll reference that today. So we ask ourselves, who would ever die for their animal? So we're going to look at uh, shepherding, and we're going to look at a picture of a good shepherd that's already given to us in Scripture. Then we'll look at the good shepherd himself, and then we're going to look at one sheep. I know sheep is next week. It's so hard to do this without intermingling a little bit. So I'm going to look at just one, one sheep. So let's first start with a brief explanation about shepherding in Jesus' day. As he talks about himself being the good shepherd, as he talks about himself being the door of the sheep or the door of the, of the sheepfold, what does that all mean? Well, when we think of shepherding, we may think of um, like Australian shepherds, you know, running, running around uh, and, and herding the pigs. The pigs. I said pigs because I've got the movie Babe on my mind. <laughs> if you've ever seen the movie Babe, you don't need the dogs. You just have a pig that talks to the sheep. I, yeah, I'll, I, I'll nerd out if I wanted to on that. I won't I embarrass myself. So, you, we, you know, we think of dogs uh, herding the sheep, nipping at their heels. We just got a dog, and we're wondering if there's a little bit of shepherd uh, dog in it because as my boys take off across the backyard, that dog chases after them and starts nipping at their heels. Like, oh, love-hate relationship. Would I die for my dog? No, I would not die for my dog. But there's... There are shepherds who would die for their sheep. And we're going to look at that this morning. So shepherding in Jesus' day was not the modern conception that we have of herding. 
No, they, they led their sheep from out front. They actually called their sheep. Uh, they might have names for their sheep based on whatever, uh, whatever was their fancy. If you have a, a sheep with a black spot, you say, hey, spot. You know, whatever it might be. They had names for their sheep. They had a special kind of a sing-song call for their sheep. That the sheep knew, this is my shepherd and I'm going to follow him. Uh, if, if you want, go, go on YouTube and, and look for like uh, the shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd's voice, something, something to that. There's a great video of, it looks like the Scottish Highlands. This shepherd walks out and you have a hillside and this low kind of, again, I'm guessing it's Scotland, fog that's settled across. You can't see any sheep. And he comes out and he does this little call. Kind of sounds kind of like a song a little bit. And he's calling a sheep. Does it in this direction. Does it in this direction. Does it over here. Calling. You're watching. And all of a sudden, out of the fog from the top of this hill, come these sheep. Not just walking down, but running. It, it is a beautiful thing. The sheep know their shepherd's voice. Well, this is what it was in, in Jesus' day. This is how the shepherds shepherded. It wasn't from behind, pushing them along. It was from out front, calling them by name. One of the important aspects of that was this sheepfold. Oftentimes at night, uh, if you're able to come in, you would bring your sheep to a large sheepfold. And it's large because it had to not only hold your herd, but also hold other shepherds' herds. And there wasn't kind of pinned off sections. No, they all went into the sheepfold. They intermingled. So it's important for the sheep to know their shepherd's voice. Because in the morning when he would come, this, was, this, this structure is kind of a, a walled off structure, uh, usually with briars on top to keep thieves, robbers, uh, maybe wolves out. Briars on top of the wall, one opening. Maybe there was a gate or a door. Uh, some, some cultures, I think still to this day, actually just have an opening where the a person who is watching the sheep sleeps. They sleep in the opening. Nothing can go, come in or out without their awareness. They're in the opening. Well, this is the picture. So in the morning, the shepherds would come to the sheepfold. The person guarding the entrance would recognize, okay, this is a shepherd who is allowed in. And the shepherd would call his sheep. Hey, Spot. Hey, Flopsy. Whatever his sing-song call might be. And his sheep would come out. His sheep would know his voice. And he would know his sheep. Then they would spend the large portion of the day following their shepherd to pasture and to water. Again, we, we live in a country that was revolutionized by barbed wire where everyone has their property. You don't cross onto my property, I won't cross onto yours. The barbed wire, here it's just open land in Jesus' time. They just go out onto the hillsides and they, the sheep would follow their shepherd and he would take them to various grazing grounds. If, if one area was depleted, rather than ha having the sheep nibble at the dirt 
and not get anything good, he would lead them to a green pasture where they could eat in safety and peace. If they needed water, he wouldn't take them to a muddy watering hole, but he would take them to a clear spring, a clear pool, and have his sheep drink from the water. He would usually get them early in the morning to bring them out into the pasture so they could, as they eat, actually be hydrated by the dew on uh, the grass. In fact, much of a sheep's hydration is simply from that morning dew. This is the picture of a shepherd in Jesus' time. So when we read in uh, verse 6, it says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. We have to understand, they knew the picture that he was painting. They knew what a sheepfold was. They knew what a shepherd was. They knew who the sheep were. They knew everything I just explained. They had that clear as a bell in their mind. What they didn't understand was the spiritual reality that Jesus was pointing them to by painting this picture of shepherds and sheep and sheepfold. Now, when Jesus talked about being a good shepherd, again, I want to look at someone who modeled being a good shepherd for the people of Israel. Again, they did not have to sit there and kind of scratch their heads like, what is Jesus talking about? They had a model prefigured for them in David, in King David. So I want to look at a few things with David as the good shepherd that I hope will help us understand Christ, Jesus Christ, as our good shepherd. You don't have to turn to all these passages. Some I'll read, some I'll turn to. But in 1 Samuel 13, Saul has, uh, Ryan went over some of the history last week. Saul has made, he was waiting for Samuel to come. Samuel would have made a sacrifice. Saul couldn't wait. So Saul made a sacrifice in Samuel's place. And Samuel shows up and says, Saul, what have you done? That is not your place. God is removing the throne from you and will give it to another. And what does he say? He says, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. A phrase we're familiar with about David. A man after God's own heart. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people. Well, when we look at a, a couple different places where... This is referenced again, like in 1 Samuel 16, the people come, uh, actually 2 Samuel 5, 2, when the people come to David to kind of make him king, they say, you shall be shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. There's a lot of wonder exactly what does it mean when it says David is a man after God's own heart. I'm going to dip my toe in there and say, I think part of it maybe has to do with being a good shepherd. David was a man after his own heart. Look, God was looking for a prince over his people. And then the people say, God said, you shall be a shepherd of my people Israel and you shall be prince over Israel. 
As Ryan said last week, when Samuel first went to Jesse's house to, to find out which one of Jesse's sons would be king, all the sons are there, except for the youngest, who is busy tending his father's sheep. And God, God says, he is my king. He has shepherded sheep, and now he will shepherd my people. In fact, that, that terminology of a shepherd for a ruler is very common, not, not just in biblical, time, in biblical times, but kind of all, all various nations have seen kings as shepherds. As we saw last week from Ezekiel 34, the religious leaders are called shepherds. And we'll look at that a, a bit more this morning. David would be a shepherd king. I do want to read from Psalm Psalm 78. Psalm 78, verses uh, 70 through 72 says, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob his people, Israel his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. David was the shepherd king prefigured, pointing to Christ as we saw last week in Ezekiel 34. Long after David's time, says, I'm going to raise up David to be shepherd, to be prince over my people. As Ryan said, David's been long dead. But as we see, as we look at scripture, that, that messianic promise is pointing forward to Christ. The great shepherd king. So what did David's shepherd heart look like? Well, what's funny, maybe not funny, haha, but interesting nonetheless. In 2 Samuel 12, this is the scene after David has committed adultery. He has murdered Uriah to try to hide his sin. Nathan the prophet comes to rebuke David. And Nathan, Nathan knows David's shepherd's heart. So he comes to him with a little story. And the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, though one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb. Which he, had, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. David's tracking. Like, yes, I love sheep. I get that, because I've loved sheep just like that. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. David had heard enough. David, the shepherd king, a good shepherd, loved the sheep. We talk about how dumb sheep are. It's true. 
<laughs> from everything I've read. I was kind of half thinking, well, maybe, you know, maybe that's just that something that preaches well. You know, sheep are dumb. Well, actually reading about it, yeah, sheep, sheep are pretty dumb. They're hard-headed. And yet God chose this picture to so often talk about us as sheep and him as a shepherd. But David here, he hears this story about this rich man and coming and taking this little ewe lamb that was like a daughter to the poor man. And he doesn't just say, Ooh, he needs to give him another lamb. He needs to figure out a way to find a cute little lamb to replace it. No. It says in verse 5, Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And I imagine this is an imaginary man. You know, this is kind of a parable that, that Nathan is telling just to kind of open David's eyes to realize that he has done the same thing with a man's wife. But David is incensed. He's so angry. And he says to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. We would say, what? We might look back at, at the law given to Moses and think, is, is that the restitution that's required for, for killing the lamb? David was angry. Why was he angry? Because he was a shepherd. He had a shepherd's heart and he loved his sheep. David protected his sheep at the risk of his own life. As we read in 1 Samuel, this scene where David comes out to his brothers and Goliath is, is out uh, calling the army of Israel to send a, a champion, to send a warrior. David shows up and says, why are you allowing this to take place? Why are you allowing him to blaspheme our God? And David goes, <laughs> David goes marching into Saul and says, I'll send me. I'll go do it. Saul says to him, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion, or a bear, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. So we get this glimpse of David's shepherd, shepherd's heart. He loves his sheep. He, who's, who's willing to die for their animal? Well, evidently David was. David didn't simply say when the lion or the bear came and took a lamb away, like, well, I've got these. I'm gonna count, I'm gonna count my losses. No, David charged in and he 
fought off the lions and the bears to rescue these lambs from their mouths to kill them. This is the heart of David. So when Jesus comes and talks to uh, his audience here, they have this understanding of shepherding. They have this understanding of what a good shepherd would be. So what are some of the marks of our good shepherd? Well, first, he knows his sheep and calls them by name. Verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Then you think, okay, what level of knowledge is this? Yeah, he knows about me, right? Verse 15, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. How does our good shepherd know us? As intimately as he knows his Father and as his Father knows him. He, that should blow our minds. If you want to have any comfort, that is such sweet comfort. God doesn't just know about me. The good shepherd doesn't know just about me. The son of God knows me as intimately as he and his father know one another. It's this intimate knowledge, this familiarity with his sheep. I said I would talk a little bit about my own experience with sheep. I worked um, for a few years for a campground and somewhere along the line, we got a small herd of sheep because we found out it's kind of easier to mow grass with sheep. And again, kind of modern day shepherding, we didn't have barbed wire, but we had our little electric fence that was easy to kind of stick in the ground and pull up and move. And every once in a while, the sheep would get out. And I would go to try to help get the sheep back in their pen. The trouble was the sheep did not know me. This wasn't my job. I wasn't tasked with keeping the sheep. So the sheep saw me coming and they ran away. What happened when the person came who fed them, who walked with them, who moved them around to greener pastures. Eh. And they came running. Like, ah. like well, you got to spend more time with the sheep, right? This was the sign of a good shepherd. My friend, uh, we had some lambs born, and one, one was kind of a runt. So he brought this little lamb into his home and bottle fed it and raised it till it was strong enough to go with the herd. And whenever he'd go out, because he had this intimate knowledge, this intimate experience with this lamb, as it grew up, whenever he would go out and the sheep would be out on the hillside and he'd call that one sheep by name. And that one sheep would come running. This is the kind of intimate knowledge our good shepherd has of us. And we have to realize when we know ourselves to
to a, a degree, and I would say our good shepherd knows us so much more than we even know ourselves. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly about, our, about us. He knows all of our failings. He knows all of our weakness. Uh, if, he, if he gave me some name based on my characteristics, I'd be ashamed for a moment. <laughs> he knows his sheep intimately. He knows all of their failings, and yet he loves them. He knows them by name. He calls them. The good shepherd leads his sheep. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read Psalm 23 again. But you know Psalm 23. Read it again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But quickly thinking through that, well, wait a second. No, I, I do have needs. I do run into issues. That's not what he's saying. It's like even when you have those needs, trust your shepherd. Follow him. He will lead you to greener pastures. That's what he's doing as we think about our only comfort in life and death being Jesus Christ. We know that he is leading us home to our eternal home. And each stop along the way is not just happenstance, but is divinely directed by him. So even when we are in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to fear. Sometimes a shepherd would have to lead his sheep through the valley of the shadow of death to get to the greener pastures, to get to the clean water. So what do you do in those dark times? You listen for your shepherd. You follow him. He cares for his sheep. In verse 13, why is it the hired hand flees when he sees the wolf coming? He says it's because he cares nothing for, his, for the sheep. They're not his sheep. If a wolf comes and carries one of the lambs away, he's the guy, the hired hand. He's like, eh, I've got 99. Soon they're going to have babies. It'll replace that one. We'll be good to go. No, the good shepherd says, I'm going to pursue because I care about my sheep. They are my sheep. Christ is the good shepherd. In Matthew chapter 9, we hear this language. Again, it's all over scripture. But Matthew 9 Verse 35, it says, Jesus went through all, throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Christ had compassion he saw the people and he saw the need for the shepherd. And the greatest thing of all, what does the good shepherd do for his sheep? Because he knows them and calls them by name, because he leads his sheep, because he cares for his sheep, he protects his sheep. He lays down his life for his sheep. 
In fact, this is why he searches for his sheep and seeks them out to redeem them. Matthew 18, a familiar parable of the lost sheep. And I would submit to you that as we read this, and it seems a bit ridiculous to us, I don't think this is ridiculous for someone like David, who was a good shepherd. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the heart of our good shepherd, King Jesus. He loves us. He searches for us. He finds us and redeems us. Now, I want to look at this picture that we've just gone over through the eyes of one sheep. See, verse 21, the crowd, they say, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of a blind of the blind. And this should bring us right back to chapter 9. The healing of the man blind from birth. And if you remember that picture, a man is healed. A man born blind is given his sight. And what do the religious leaders of the day do? They haul him into trial. You weren't really blind. Shame on you for putting on this ruse. Hey, how many times are you going to ask me these questions? He says, all I can tell you, never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And what did, what's their reaction to that? Throw him out. They cast him out of the synagogue. They cast him out of the fellowship. They said, you, no, you're not of us. Ezekiel 34, quickly. This is the language we hear. Ezekiel 34, 4. This is what the bad shepherds, the religious leaders had done. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. This man born blind was kicked out of a fellowship for being healed. And really, not just being healed, but for saying that Jesus healed him. Jesus, the Christ of God, the Messiah. What is the good shepherd, though, for this blind man? Again, Ezekiel 34, verse 15. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. That's the good shepherd. He doesn't 
dismiss the weak and helpless. He goes after us. He goes after the weak and helpless, the despised, the ones pitied. And he rescues us. He brings us into the fold. To wrap up, I don't want to get through this without mentioning Jesus as he says, I am the door of the sheep or the door of the sheepfold. But we should remember such verses as John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Christ says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Christ is the door, is our protection. He's our provision. He's our everything. Come in for safety. And then I will lead you out to green pastures and clear water. I won't kick you to the curb. I will bring you in. I will protect you. I will love you. As we turn toward communion, I want you just to think about the first few words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. If you can't say, the Lord is my shepherd, then I would ask that you let the elements as we pass them out go by you. Because this is a family meal. And it's not that we delight in excluding people. No. It's that we want you to be able to call Jesus Christ my shepherd. We want you to be able to say, I hear his voice and I follow him. Ryan will talk more about this next week as we look through the perspective of the sheep looking to their good shepherd. Now, I would comfort you if you do believe, if you do say, the Lord is my shepherd, and yet you feel like you can't partake in this feast, in this family meal, because you say, I am that runt sheep. I am weak. I'm feeble. I'm always falling over flailing my legs in the air and the shepherd has to come and pick me back up and get me on my feet. I am so helpless. I feel like I'm so useless. I feel like there's so much in my world that I just don't understand. You're invited to the table because the shepherd calls you by name. He has not chosen us because of the strength in us. He has not chosen us because we're some great heroes of the faith. He has chosen us because we are his and he is ours. So when he calls your name, you are invited to this feast. No matter how weak and feeble your faith may be, if you say, the Lord is my shepherd, this is for you. Let's pray. We'll take this together. Father, thank you for sending your son 
to be the good shepherd who would call us, who promises not to lose a single one. When we act foolish and we leave, you're the good shepherd. Your son comes and seeks us out and rescues us. Father, we praise you because we know when we take a true look at our hearts that we are so rotten and filthy, covered in sin. We are wretches. And yet you come and you, your son as a good shepherd wipes us down. He strengthens us. He builds us up. He leads us to green pastures. He restores us. He's leading us to his table where we can feast. Father, help us not to be tricked or fooled into thinking that there are more ways than one to your redemption. Father, we can only enter through your son. And I praise you for that because there is no way that I would have any assurance if I could not rest in knowing that salvation is through your son, Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we are in him, when he calls our names, he calls us to himself, we enter your throne of grace with confidence because you have brought us in to your family like the poor man's ewe lamb. You have seated us at your table and treated us as one of your own. We praise you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation from Community Bible Church. For more information, please visit us at 6005 Edmondson Pike in Nashville, Tennessee, or online at cbcnashville.org.